welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm gonna be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Matt Alston and Melissa Zhang, the power duo behind Bonfire, who aims to be the front page for Web3 communities. What a pleasure having them on and chatting with these gigabrains uh, who are building for the creator economy, X Crypto. I've been wanting to have them on for some time, mainly because, well, I document the pulse around creator x crypto and they build for creator x crypto so it was a really fun conversation to have really thought-provoking discussions uh and answers from both of them combined so without further ado let's just dive right in matt and melissa welcome to mint how are we doing how are we feeling what's going on we're doing well thanks for having us excited to chat i need i need more energy than that I feel like this is this is this is a collab that's been waiting to happen. You guys are building the creator economy. I'm documenting the creator economy. Like I need like a woo, woo. woo. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. How are, how are you guys doing? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for being on. Um, the way I kind of like to start these things, okay, is I like to start with introductions. Okay. Uh, so, who are you guys? Okay. What does the world need to know about you? We can start with Matt and then move on to Melissa. But I want you guys to focus on like how did you guys got get into crypto specifically in building for creators yeah um i can yeah i can kick off so mel and i have known each other for nine years or so met freshman fall probably the second week on campus um at duke where we both studied computer science um and so uh mel well she'll give her intro but she got into crypto well before i did um i graduated joined uber as a product manager and then spent a couple years um working on rider loyalty and, and launching uh uber rewards and uh, so it's been a long time really focused on Web2 loyalty and some of the problems that um, that industry is trying to solve. Um, May 2020, left the company or left Uber to start a company uh, with Mel, ended up pivoting actually uh, about six months into the life of that company. And really, we're, we're doing pretty open-ended exploration um, and got really excited about Web3. Um, I started down the rabbit hole January 2021 or so. Um, and really, like, what compelled me about Web3 was it was starting to veer into creators, community, culture, all the things that I just care a lot about um, before I was sort of, you know, an outsider looking in on Web3 and living vicariously through Melissa. But uh, it started to really touch community. Um, and that's where I uh, got really excited, dove down the rabbit hole and really haven't looked back. Nice. And, and, and Melissa, what, what's your story? How'd you get into crypto? Yeah, so I actually got into crypto probably around 2015. Um, I actually just happened to be taking a class on crypto. It was in the business school, so basically completely relevant to what I was studying. I was studying computer science and economics. And basically, the class just changed my life. It was called Intro to Crypto Ventures. And Cam Harvey was the teacher. Shout out. He's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, basically... <laughs> changed the trajectory of my career like got really excited about crypto and all the ways that it was going to like revolutionize all these different industries um i mean back then was a big focus on finance and like remittances and yeah i mean it just kind of like blew my mind that like if you were trying to transfer money across country lines and you were trying to send money through western union it would take like two weeks and you would yeah. have to pay a bunch of fees. And that was kind of what clicked for me with crypto is like, wow, this like totally makes sense as a new monetary system. So that's how I got started. And yeah, I started the Duke blockchain lab while I was still at Duke. Uh, one of the big problems I saw was that uh, like Duke wasn't really doing a, a lot in terms of educating its students on crypto. And I thought like all these, like there's basically a paradigm shift happening and probably the people of our generation are going to be the ones leading it. So started the lab to help students get projects off the ground and just to like educate the general student body. So that was a really good experience. And the lab is actually still going today, which is nice. exciting, kind of had a little legacy there. Um, yeah. And then joined Coinbase basically after graduation Um as a software engineer on the consumer web product and spent three years there working on a variety of things, but yeah, left in November, 2020 to start a company with Matt. 
Nice. So, okay, Melissa, like yourself, okay, you got started on the university level, what feels like very ingrained on the university level. I also got started there. Uh, you did the the Duke Blockchain Lab. I helped start the Trojan Blockchain Society. Uh, and I, I only bring this up because like a lot of my love came into crypto because of what was happening on campus. Like I hated the school side of things. I was a bad student. I would get like C's and D's on all my exams, despite how much I studied at USC. And uh, all the extracurricular stuff was like the only thing that kept me pulsating and kept me alive. I'm curious, by starting the, the, the Duke Blockchain Lab, what are like some of the more like transferable skills you've seen as a community leader uh, into you now building products and being a software engineer? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I loved about it was just like starting something from scratch, basically like going from an idea from zero to one. And I think that kind of informed like, okay, like this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, just like build companies, build things that last beyond me. So I think that was the big takeaway. Like I started it like my senior year of, of college, like oh wow, spring semester. So like didn't really have to do anything, but felt really compelled to do it because I was like, I feel like the university really needs this. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest takeaway was just, I really liked building things. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So, okay. Just so I understand correctly, you guys met in college, but then reconnected after graduation, right? Or did I miss that? We've been friends all the way through. Um, okay. So we, yeah, okay. we've been best friends for, for, you know, basically the entirety of that time, but okay. went our own separate ways in the professional context and then joined up, uh, in 2020. So how did you guys actually get to meeting back up together in a professional setting? Like what, what did that look like? Who approached who? Uh, what, what's the origin story behind that? Uh, I approached Melissa. So, um, well, I mean, we just, you know, we're, we're friends in both living in the Bay right. Area. So we were seeing each other all the time. Um, and around the end of 20, I guess it was 2019, beginning of 2020, um, I started to feel like I was ready to make a jump from Uber wanted mm -hmm. to start a company um, and had always sort of like had in the back of my mind that Mel was like the perfect partner to start a company with. Um, had mm -hmm. never brought that up to her uh, previously, but around January, February 2020 is when I was like, what if we just started hacking on something in our free time, um, nights and weekends? And we started that. The pandemic then sort of added a bunch of chaos to our, our world. And that's when um, I left Uber and wanted to just focus full time on, on building together. Um, and then, yeah, Mel followed me a yeah. few months later. Got it. What was the first product you guys set out to build together? Because you said you were building something for six months and then you pivoted more into the creator crypto space. So what was that initial thing that you were trying to go after? We were building a consumer social like events marketplace, um, trying to build okay. more of like a social front end to like an Airbnb experiences like marketplace. And so the first thing um, was that the pandemic made that an extremely tough uh, idea to build and launch. Um, but then, you know, who knows whether that would have been a good idea either way. Um, but yeah, that's what we, that's what we built first. Spent a few months kind of getting the MVP out, grew it to a few hundred users and, you know, we're able to get a little bit of traction, but really not enough conviction to keep building there. Got it. Melissa, I saw you smiling in the green room. Do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing more, but yeah, basically the pandemic took a lot of wind out of our sails, but I think the, the great thing there was we, we just like built and tested and just iterated really quickly. Um, it's because we, we knew like events is like a really hard industry. Um, a lot of people have tried it, but we just wanted to like give our own shot. And I think we knew that like, okay, let's build, test, like test out in the wild and see how it goes. Um, obviously like COVID kind of put a wrench in that plan, but um, I think yeah. we actually did learn a lot through the process. Yeah. I, and I feel like creator, the creator path was very much destined for you guys based off your, your past experiences as creators building communities and building loyalty rewards uh, systems at Uber. Like it's very much in tune. And if you look back and you connect the dots, like it all makes sense from, from that point of view. Matt, I'm curious, like as you were working at Uber, as you were working on the loyalty reward side of things and you pivoted into doing this startup, when was like the aha moment when you were like, okay, this actually makes a lot of sense to go more in towards the creator space. And Melissa, feel free to jump in too if it was very much like a mutual thing. Uh, I'm curious to hear how the origin story kind of migrated from events into creators. 
Yeah, so around the time that we were pivoting, this would have been like end of 2019, I actually did Launch House, um, if you're familiar. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, and so I did like the second one. I knew all of the founders from On Deck, and it was in Tulum. Uh, so I spent a month living in Tulum, essentially in this like hacker house of sorts. And just by coincidence, my roommates, like literal, literally the three of us um, in a room together were Alex Masmej and Patrick Rivera. Um, oh, and so Alex Masmej cool. is starting Showtime and, you know, known as being one of the earlier people to tokenize um, and kind of, uh, you know, really champion the social token movement. And then Patrick was um, actually, it was before he joined Mirror, uh, but is now a, a founding engineer at Mirror. And so I got the crypto red pill uh, via those two, just kind of like talking all day long. And, you know, Alex was uh, pre-Showtime and spending a lot of time just on Clubhouse talking about his social token and uh, we spent a lot of late nights jamming. And so that's where I got really excited about Web3 and the social token and NFT kind of angle in particular, I thought had a lot of parallels to my experience building rewards programs and just mm -hmm. the way that you can, you know, use these assets to identify and reward the most valuable customers in the case of a, com in the case of a company. But I think it applies equally to, you know, the most valuable contributors in a creative community. Um, I saw that there was a lot of parallels to the insights I had from Uber, and it felt like what was really missing um, was the tooling, the applications, the products to to make these tokens really useful. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I feel like even today, the current state of the creator economy, which I'd love to hear what your like what your thesis is around that and how you guys are seeing these things, but everything very much feels scattered. If you zoom out and you look at it from like a hawk's point of view. You have all these different audiences being that creators are trying to build for themselves across different platforms. And they're trying to use Web3 as a primitive to kind of tie it all together, own that community and form some type of direct monetization line between the end user, the fan and, and who they are. And um, there's a couple of things I want to ask you, okay? Creator is a very general word. Many things fall under the word creator, okay? So how do you guys think about creator? And based off how you think about creators, what's your thesis for like crypto and creator? I can kick off and then um, I'll jump in. But yeah, so when we think about creators, we we think about um, anyone who is you know building an audience online. Only, I'm sorry, online primarily, um, and building a community around their content, um, and then just around like you know some interest or whatever the nature of that content is. So we have a pretty broad definition, and and we're definitely building for um, all creators in Bonfire, but. For right now, we're taking a focus on specific verticals that we think are going to be earlier to adopt Web3. And so music um, is kind of that first vertical that we're focused on right now. Um, but yeah, we have, a, a, I think, a broad lens of the types of creators that um, we could ev eventually support. Um, but I think when it comes to the intersection of the creator economy and crypto um, or Web3, I think that one of the things that's really interesting is the way that the like kind of creator fan relationship has evolved where, you know, it used to be, um, you know, very much one to many, very much kind of a parasocial relationship forming between creators and, and their audience where they're putting out content, fans are, are consuming it passively. And I think in Web3, you see that flipped on its head where now fans, creators are interacting directly. They're in a Discord server channel, like talking directly to one another. Um, and even the lines between creator and fans start to get blurred where, you know, there's a lot of communities in Web3 that there is no like central creator um, necessarily at, at the core, um, even though maybe there are like a handful of creators who are like important getting it started. Or you'll see something where it starts off as a, a creator building a community around themselves, but then it kind of outgrows them in a way or like takes on a life of its own where now fans are actually contributing in a variety of ways, whether it's managing the Discord or whether it's like, you know, they're creating their own content. Um, you see this whole kind of dimension of curation and curators um, get uh, kind of rising to prominence. And so you see these like much more balanced communities where uh, before it was very much, you know, one to many um, creator fan kind of relationship. And so I think that's something that we've certainly observed um, over the last year. Uh, that's, I would say, a pretty significant divergence from the Web2 creator economy. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And Melissa, I see your head like nodding in the background. I'd love to hear your take on how you're thinking about the intersection of crypto and creators, what your personal thesis is that and how that fits into like the micro uh, landscape of where we are today. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that we're really excited about at Bonfire is basically just being able to power the homepage of every creator DAO. Um, I think the word DAO kind of is similar to what Matt was saying, basically changes the relationship between the fan and the creator. It's more about the community. And um, I think we're going to start to see more of these creator DAOs form where it's it's not just like one person on their own trying to make it, but it's actually you know, like a whole community, community of your first supporters. And um, I, I love the idea of the whole everyone winning and it's like a positive sum game and even just creators working together to um, just like build things and create. Yeah. So yeah, I think in terms of where we see it going, like creator DAOs are definitely in the future. So let's talk about DAOs because that was actually the next thing I wanted to bring up. So there's a spectrum to DAOs, okay? There's being more token-based, right? And then there's like the other side of the spectrum where it's like it's like decentralized, autonomously, right? Run. And I don't think we have yet seen like a traditional DAO in the creator sense just yet. I, I think we're seeing a lot of like token-based communities that are forming like uh, they're trying to form like communities around their collectors for the most part. Um, but how, how do you guys kind of think about that? How do you guys think about like what DAOs are like right now on, on Twitter where they're very romanticized and more people want to start DAOs and they do want to like participate in DAOs for the most part. And then you have people just launching tokens and building communities around that. Like what is the spectrum for you and how do you guys think about that internally? Yeah, I would say that our thinking here has definitely evolved where I think when we started out, we we certainly thought of, you know, who we were building for as the creator. Um, and, you know, by by way of the creator, we were also going to support their community. But it was really like, you know, thinking about um, building tools for a single person who was building a community around themselves, um, where I think now there's a lot more of like a community first mentality or, or you know, community above, you know, just the creator. And so um within DAOs, you're right. I think it's a romanticized term. It gets used for kind of anything and everything. Um, and, you know, it really should probably be just called like an online organization or, or something a little more generic because most <laughs> are not centralized or autonomous. But, um, but I think that if you think about online organization, clearly, you know, there's going to be a lot of subcategories within that umbrella. Like in a lot of organizations don't look anything like one another. And so everything from like a protocol that's basically developing a DAO to govern the protocol. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you just have like a tokenized community um, or even just a creator that issues a token and something that looks more like a creator coin. Um, I think we certainly are, are trying to appeal to that latter side of the spectrum. So uh, more of the social DAO, creator DAO, um, you know, creator coin community um, versus like building for a protocol. But I do think that, you know, there's probably many, many markets kind of within the term DAO. Um, and right now it's kind of all lumped together, but really like the needs of these different organizations are, are quite different. Um, and so we're trying to sort of carve out this uh, part of the spectrum, which is, you know, the creator-led DAO or the creator-led community um, where tokens are used to represent and capture the value. Got it. Do you think creators are good community builders? I think that most creators um, are... I think a lot of creators are good community builders. I think that every creator DAO is going to need a great community builder that may or may not be the creator itself. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, then they need a, a community builder to work alongside them. Yeah, Melissa, I, I want to ask you specifically because you come from a community building background. Like you got your start building communities for the most part, right? On, on campus at Duke. Like what are some of the characteristics that you see maybe creators lack, for example, when it comes to actually building, sustaining, thriving communities because a lot of creators want to focus on what they do best creating and that whole like other component of building a community around their creations tends to be tedious so from you as like a community builder what are some things you think people need to kind of like preserve within themselves the skills that they need to actually build like sustaining uh pulsating communities for the most part yeah i mean certainly i'm not an expert on community building especially on the internet internet um like when i was building blockchain lab at Duke, like it was mostly in person. And so I feel like Discord is like managing a Discord is a whole different skill set that I don't not even sure I really possess. But which by the way um, is like a full time job. Like that really yeah, feels exactly. like a full time job. Yeah, I mean it's also really hard and 
I think a lot of probably a lot of the Web3 native creators are going to be community builders to start out with. Maybe as a Web2 creator, it might not come as naturally be, just because of like the fan relationship that was popular in Web2. Like it's mostly a one directional. And so a lot of creators probably aren't used to that bi-directional um, just like community relationship. So I think in that case, like having a community manager is super great. Like I don't think in like the creator necessarily needs to be that person. Obviously they need to be like involved in the community, but I don't think that they need to be the same. Um, Cause they're, I mean, they're completely different skill sets. Yeah. How do you guys, I mean, if, if a creator came up to you and they're like, okay, guys, like you're, you're the, you're the builder experts. You guys have been in web three creator for, for a long time. Okay. How do I split my time between creating and community building? What, what's your answer to that? If you have one. I don't, I don't know that we have one, um, or at least not a, not a great one. I would say that, um, I would say the, the one thing that is pretty common within Web3 uh, in its current state of maturity is like every mm -hmm. community looks a lot different. Um, and so yeah. I would say that we don't yet have the best practices, the playbooks, like the, you know, here's step one, two, and three. Um, and so we're very much in this kind of like playground of experimentation phase where uh, hopefully the idea is coming, uh, you know, from the creator for why they need a token or why they're building this community to begin with. And then we just try to encourage that experimentation. Um, and so, you know, some some of these communities start very much, you know, community first or community mm -hmm. only even. Yeah. Um, there's not even like a traditional creator at the center. Others really are a lot more top down, a lot more like, you know, uh, a new age fan club. Um, and I think both will exist, both will be very sort of popular ideas in the future. And in terms of execution on either front, I think we're still very early. Um, and so, I mean, our general stance is like, let's um, enable as much experimentation as possible, yeah. such that as a, as a space, we collectively develop the playbooks, the best practices, the insights on, on how best to use these tools. Yeah. I, I kind of touched upon this in some of my, my commentary earlier, but I, I'd love to hear your guys' point of view. Like, why is crypto, why is Web3 the perfect medium for creators? Yeah, I think, I mean, when we were actually looking at, uh, we're exploring a bunch of different ideas, like back in early last year, we were, got really excited about the creator economy, actually, and um, to me, like creators are just like entrepreneurs, like the internet native entrepreneur. And we were, we definitely wanted to build for them. But the problem that we kept coming up against in a web two context was that they're like all these gatekeepers, like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they basically take all of the revenue generating potential from creators, like commoditizing them. There's like the, the issue is that creators just didn't have any ownership of their audience, of their content, of like the platforms that they were building on. And so we kept kind of running into this where it's like, okay, we could build another monetization tool, but it doesn't really solve the fundamental issue. And then when we saw like NFTs and social tokens started taking off, it just kind of clicked. It's like, wow, like this is actually game changing where it can actually really move the needle for a creator to be able to now own their audience, own the means of monetization. And yeah, that just didn't exist before on the internet or the, yeah. how the internet was set up. So I feel like, yeah, it's just, it just makes it just like a no brainer. I feel like for all creators. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Matt, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think Mel pretty much, uh, you know, nail on the head. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say the, the only thing to add maybe is just that, um, within the context of Web3, it creates like the potential, I think, to you know own your upside, like create these stronger, uh, more platform agnostic communities. But it's not like, a, it's not a panacea. You can't just like introduce a token and expect all your problems to get solved. Right. And right. certainly Web3 introduces some new challenges as well. And so I think that um, it is a technology which allows for you know stronger, more durable, um, long-term communities to get built. But you know, it needs to be a very intentional and it's a long-term uh, effort to like make that a reality. 
What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi, Zed Run, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. When you talk about like community building, when you talk about monetization, you, you mentioned primitives and mediums like social tokens, NFTs. My My bet, and maybe you guys would echo the same thing, is like, almost every single component of a creator that's digital will end up being on chain to some extent from their tickets to their, uh, to their digital merch, to their plots of land online in the metaverse, to their social tokens, to their EPs that they launch, to uh, their one of ones of music, their additions, all these different things that will be on chain each have their own respective value. And you think about like, shit, like that's a lot of stuff. Like that's a lot of things. Those are, those are a lot of things to manage, a lot of assets to manage, let alone a lot of cr- collectors and uh, I guess contributors, however you want to call them, uh, to kind of build communities around. What does that funnel look like today? And, and, I, and I ask this because I don't know, because I see all these creators exploring these different memes, to- mean, means uh, to tokenize themselves from all those different elements that I, I mentioned earlier. And then when you try to think about like, okay, how do you actually build a comprehensive community? The tool to do that is Discord or Telegram for the most part, but the act, the practice of actually doing that, like we don't have that roadmap yet. What are some of the best practices you've, you've guys seen to kind of create like a comprehensive collector community around uh, creators like on-chain assets, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think the the playbooks definitely being written in real time but i think one thing that we've certainly seen is um you know community members fans they need to understand what's going on and so uh, i think one thing that we're seeing increasingly and it's only going to become uh, more and more of an issue as as time goes on is like how do you just make sense of you know do- dozens or maybe even hundreds of assets within a community um and i actually think that that's where social tokens become really important um, and so that's definitely part of our thesis is um, I think NFTs are, are really uh, achieving a lot of the same ends that a social token can, things like membership into a community as a sort of a, um, identifier for, you know, who is this community member um, as something that accrues status and uh, functional benefits and perks. But I think as you um, mint and create more and more NFTs, Um, a social token becomes increasingly important for how you just like make sense of the value within a community. So instead of gating by one of 57 different NFTs, you actually have a token that everyone uh, understands is kind of the the fungible asset of the community. And you can uh, basically have value accrued to that one asset instead. And then I think the last just sort of um, maybe point I'd make there is right now, it's like we think of every NFT and every token as, as being really an asset where um, I also think a lot will look a lot more like objects, where like in the physical world, um, not everything that is unique is also considered like an appreciating asset. Many things are really just meant to be used um, or are more, um, you know, utility in, in their function. And so I think not everything that is on chain will be considered an asset um, and something that people assume will appreciate in value. Many will just be like more like objects. They'll be, you know, your mm-hmm. event ticket, uh, which mm-hmm. gets you into the event. And then after the event, it really has nothing except for sentimental value. And I think like that's totally okay. Um, and so I think that's sort of a dimension that we haven't quite um, tapped into yet. But if you think about like five years from now, are we all just going to hold like 11,000 NFTs? And like, which one of those will be the ones that we think accrue value over time versus like, what are the ones that are, you know, mementos or keepsakes or like things that are actually meant to just be used? Yeah. So, okay. 
So let's break this apart. So for those who don't understand, so you just basically broke down what you'd use like a social token for versus an NFT and how do you differentiate, compare and contrast it to. I think that's very, very wise that you brought that up because that was one of my questions as well. Um, and another thing I want to ask you guys is, okay, sure, you'll have objects. I like that word, how you kind of call them objects because whether uh, like I wouldn't consider like a board Ape Yacht Club NFT an object, I'd consider like an on-chain ticket to a concert as an object, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. but yeah. they still have their own like respective values. And when you think about social tokens and you think about this underlying, like uh, you think of an ERC 20 token standard as like the index token for all the other assets, that's kind of like what I'm, I'm picking up that you're putting down. Is that correct? Like the social token ends up being a peg to all these other on-chain assets, whether they be all the other social tokens from like the EPs or the other artworks or other crowd funds to the one of ones to the additions, they all funnel down into one asset. That's how you guys are thinking about it, which I agree by the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I actually think Daniel Allen's a great example of that yeah. where he's, he's issuing NFTs across a variety of different platforms, but he's also appending hey, every time you buy one of my NFTs, I'm going to airdrop you over to them. And then when it comes to, you know, gating the Discord, when it comes to participation in the community over time, you know, those benefits only need to uh, accrue to the Overstem token, but all NFT holders had an opportunity to earn that Overstem by their patronage. Right. And so it's sort of a way of, uh, you know, as the career goes on, as like project four, five, and six come out, and there could be now hundreds and hundreds of, NFTs out there. It's like Overstem is the thing that, uh, you know, governs the community and not like a bunch of different unique NFTs, which I think is a lot harder just to corral. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I think also the Daniel example is really great where, I mean, the Overstem token basically got created because of his original mirror crowdfund. And it's kind of specific to that album, but you can start to see like he created the overstimulated DAO, but you can start to see where in the future, maybe he launches like the Daniel token or the Daniel DAO. And now it's not just the overstimulated album. It's all, it, all of his albums kind of ladder up into this one token and people who hold overstim can maybe convert it to Daniel. And that now you have something that basically represents like your entire life's work and, not just like a specific instance, like a specific album or concert or um, mm -hmm. kind of like how we're thinking about NFTs today, which are kind of like one-off instances. Mm -hmm. So that's very much where DeFi meets the creator economy, right? Because what you guys are explaining right now is basically like a, a, a take on set protocol where you pull a bunch of assets together and you create like an index token of all that underlying value. Um, and I'm trying to think like, okay, what does that really look like from... Uh, a technical point of view. Okay. And I don't, I, I want to get a little dirty with this because I want to understand it not only from like a theoretical level, but also from like a fundamental level. If this, someone wants to do this in practice, for example, right? So you have your tickets, you have your one of ones, you have your additions, you have your crowdfund campaigns that you do on mirror and all these other assets. How do you actually take all those assets and peg it to one asset? Like technically. So I like the, the interface in the product that I'm imagining that comes to mind, like I said earlier, is like set protocol. Like you take all your DeFi ERC-20s and you create like an index, like Forefront has a social token index or Bankless has the bank index, right? Um, the list goes on and on. How do you actually do that with a creator asset today from NFTs and 721s and uh, uh, all the other token standards? I'm like blanking out on all of them. <laughs> yeah. I think a simple way to do it is just you have a treasury that holds all of the creators NFTs. Uh, that's where like revenue flows towards all the on-chain revenue. And then the token is just like a governance token has uh, rights to that treasury or rights to some streams from that treasury. And that's, that's honestly like probably the simplest way to do it. You don't even really mm -hmm. need to create an index or anything complicated. Um, that, that's kind of how I would see it now, but I think we're seeing it play out in real time. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and, and Melissa, you bring that up. And another thing that comes to mind, uh, and Matt, I'll let you jump in because I feel like you want to say something due to this. Because um, Overstim itself, the project itself, accumulates revenue, it accumulates revenue from catalog, from sound, uh, it accumulates revenue from uh, Spotify and all the other streaming services. And then what like you're trying to architect is the Daniel coin, let's say, if and when that happens, whatever, I don't know. 
But let's say it's like one asset specifically that then pegs to all these other assets that then all the collectors buy that one asset to get exposure to everything in a Daniel ecosystem. But then like I try to think, okay, but now the creator might have revenue for like the, the personal token in addition to like the project token, like the overstim token, in addition to the personal token. So like, okay, how do you actually do that from like an accounting point of view? How do you do that from a collecting point of view? Like these are the type of things that I'm starting to think about as, as we kind of peel this onion. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I definitely think it's going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, a little um, less like surgical than that. Like it's not going to okay. be, um, you know, a precise index in the, mm. in the sense of like, there's, you know, I think there's not going to be a lot of like on-chain mechanics that like enable the token to like, you know, exactly track uh, a bunch okay. of different assets. Okay. I think instead what's going to sort of happen is there will be one token, which, um, you know, is thought of as the like community token, the community asset. And um, that's the thing where benefits accrue over time, maybe by holding that token, like you're participating in governance within the community. Maybe by holding that token, whenever there are, you know, an NFT uh, or something that's dropping, you have yeah. early access to that thing or exclusive access to that thing. And so it'll be more about like the benefits accruing to that token, as mm -hmm. well as the governance rights over the treasury. And then as you meant, you know, more NFTs, uh, you can choose to do it under that, you know, under the community um, that is governed by like, you know, the, the MAT token, call it. Yeah, um, yeah. Or I do think that there's going to be, you know, creators who have multiple communities that could have different community assets associated with them. And um, I think it can get a little bit sort of messy when you project that a little ways. But yeah, I think that it's, it's not going to be um, quite as maybe just surgical in the definition of this one community token mapping the value of all of the other disparate assets that live there. I think it's going to be a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, just soft than that, the relationship. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Uh, yeah. And, and when I ask these questions, I, I mean, I think it's good to get somewhat like very messy like that, because I think a lot of, a lot of stuff out there tends to be very high level and, for other creators that want to like follow Daniel's footsteps, Silencia's footsteps, Charlie Crown, uh, Mark, the list goes on and on and on. Like there needs to be comprehensive guides to kind of understand that. So you guys are providing a lot of clarity uh, on that matter. Um, you know, Matt, you brought up you brought up governance. Okay, it's a it's a very interesting topic for creators because on the extreme side, let's talk like Black Mirror side, you think about fans controlling every movement that uh, a creator kind of makes on a very extreme side. So they get to vote on what they eat, they get to vote on uh, who they talk to, they get to vote on what where they perform, like all these other like very like, like really scary type of like uh, governance types of decisions that can come with an asset. But I like to think of it as the as the as a ladder, you know, and, I, and I'm curious to hear, like, how do you guys think about governance in a creator stance? What does that really look like? What are the tiers of governance? How much do you actually involve your audience and your fan in the day-to-day -day of what you're doing versus on a granular level to the project perspective? Walk me through that. How, how do you guys think about governance in creators? I think it's completely to be defined by the creator. I think different creators are going to welcome different levels of um, participation. And I think the, the token is, is meant to just be a way of uh, conferring rights, like when you know that governance opportunity is opened up. But I think in the same way that as a shareholder of a company, I don't get to decide everything that that company does operationally, or even within most DAOs, it's not like everything goes up to a vote, right? It's like, um, there is a, a kind of, um, mutually agreed upon like structure of like what governance rights the token confers. And I think in the creator case, you know, different creators are going to have different approaches to like where they want participation, um, you know, from their community in, in the creation itself. So I think it's going to be highly, highly varied. I don't think that um, people will come to understand owning a social token as meaning they get to govern every aspect of like a creator's life. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that would be bad for all sorts of obvious reasons. Um, but I think instead it will be a way for, you know, when the creator is looking for engagement, participation within their community, um, that token is the way that they do that. It's the way that they actually, um, you know, gate that participation and also reward the people who have been uh, collecting, collecting that token. So um, 
yeah, I, I think that maybe governance in the creator context is going to look quite a bit different than yeah. governance in the more protocol DAO context. And I think all of that is um, still very much a work in progress, uh, yeah. like as Web3 as a space is still figuring out how governance yeah. like, works. Yeah. Melissa, how do you think about governance in a creator stance? Yeah, I feel like it's less that the token gives you ownership in the creator. It's um, like it's not like a social token in the sense that you get to control them and their creative work. I think it's more in the sense of like you get to control maybe your treasury and that is like that's the what the governance token is used for or it's it becomes less about a singular creator like maybe it starts out with just one creator but eventually it becomes like a group of creators that are creating together because people in the community are also contributing and it's not just like the the creator leading it forever um eventually it becomes a community and i feel like it um in the in the worst case, it becomes like com- only creator led because obviously, what what happens when the creator decides like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to make music or and anything like anything yeah. could happen. Like that's stuff that people don't really talk about. So I feel like the sooner that you can make it about the community and less about a singular creator, the better. Um, yeah, because like I mean creators don't live forever either yeah yeah that's like that gets me thinking like okay let's think about like the band queen like their band of creators you know in their own respect musicians iconic musicians and freddie mercury has passed away but the queen legacy continues you know what does that look like if there were assets to to kind of tie that all together and to bring that stuff on chain another thing i want to ask you guys is governance a need or a want for creators do audience and fans need to participate in governance or is it a feature that makes it like the entire, I guess, process more fun? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think like, do, do creators need governance? Do audiences want governance or need governance? And it's a, I guess it's like a very like maybe philosophical question, a very uh, like high level, like thought provoking question, but I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Wow. Yeah. Hitting a heavy hitting question um well i think that the i think that you need governance when you are doing something like crowdfunding a bunch of eth um that you know the creators is you know saying that they're going to use to build a project or saying that you know certain types of value are going to um you know be routed back to to the asset holders or like the token holders of the project then i think governance becomes really important because you're talking about like you know this giant sum of money and you know for me to have confidence investing in that thing i need to know that i have some rights um to governance over you know where that gets used or how it gets spent etc i think that's sort of different in my mind than like engagement or contribution um where it could be like more creative engagement or creative contribution um it could be you know things like you know voting on on the next album cover or voting on you know, who opens for, for my concert. I think that type of stuff is is community contribution. It's like engagement that I think could be really enriching and it could be um, really powerful. Uh, but I think it's it's very optional. It's very like nice to have. Certain creators will want that. Others, you know, will, won't want that at all. Um, but I do think of that as being pretty different than like governing a treasury. And, and that's where I feel like it's most um, required or it's at least required for collectors, I think, to to have confidence really collecting in, in these communities. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's maybe where I would draw the line. Yeah. M- Melissa, anything to add to that on the needs or wants of governance? Cause I, I have so many more questions, but I, I know you guys are just like so into it. So I'm, I'm curious to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think when there's a treasury, I think that's when governance becomes important, but n- I don't think every creator done necessarily needs a treasury. Like mm-hmm. it could be that the token is just for a reward point to reward contributors, people who are day one and just be able to distinguish between the fans that um, have been around for a while. So I think it's not necessary, but I think it beca- it does become like really interesting when you start to involve more of like these tokenomic models and that 
I think it's yet to see like if that is a great model or not if you financialize everything. But um, I think you can start to get really just interesting models where everyone is aligned financially and see how how that plays out. Um, so it's not a solid yeah. answer, but yeah. <laughs> you know, because no yeah, no, for sure, for sure, uh, and like. If you look, okay, well, let's go back to the DAO spectrum from just like a token-based community to like completely decentralized and autonomous, okay? A lot of token-based communities, they use platforms like Snapshot or Tally or even like the Discord reactions as a way to kind of dictate a path forward. And when you think about on-chain governance versus off-chain governance for creators and their fans, how do you differentiate the priority between the two? Like when should, when should someone like Daniel be using a discord react uh, on their messages to decipher a direction versus putting something like on chain and having it permanent or off chain using snap? You know what I mean? Like how, how do you kind of decipher which, which path to go and in which context? Yeah, I think it maybe maps to, um, I guess, like that distinction I was trying to draw before between like, mm -hmm. you know, if it's going to be a material use of, of treasury funds, or it's going okay. to like, you know, have implications for the value of the asset, then I think it's, it's very critical to involve the community in a way yeah. that is a little yeah. more robust. Um, yeah. If it's, you know, who's, who's going to open for my concert, then I think, you know, it's very much like discord reaction is just enough um, way to get signal and almost like a social contract yeah. that, you know, okay, this person who won the vote is actually going to be opening. And, you know, that's all that's really necessary there. Yeah, makes sense. So guys, let's talk more about bonfire. Okay. We talked a lot about like general uh, high, high eagle type, type of stuff. Excuse me. I'm curious because you guys actually summed it down to be something really interesting. So the front page for creator DAOs. Okay. And this is very evident with the page that you guys built for Daniel Allen, okay, that showcases his different assets, to, for example, like his treasury to his discord links to buying uh, the overstim token and actually doing a swap on there for for all these different like really cool gadgets and components uh, for the creator itself. So when you when you think about building the homepage for a creator, what does that really look like big picture for you guys? I think the first thing is that there needs to be just a, a public way that somebody can arrive and learn what is this DAO about? Um, you know, what is the DAO? What are the assets that are um, connected to that, that community? Like, what are the various perks and benefits of participating in that community? Who is the artist? Um, and like, you know, what type of art do they make? And like, where can that art be, um, you know, enjoyed? So I think that's the first thing is there, there does, um, at least for a community that, you know, is public, um, there needs to be a, a public um, way for people to understand the value of the community. Um, and then I think that there's a, a big part that is very um, is a very critical part of our roadmap, which is also like, what about the private or community only sorts of events and experiences that maybe live behind the token gate? And like, how do you, whether it's content or events or other, you know, types of value, how do you allocate that um, to the token holders or the community members? And so... Um, I think there's definitely an aspect which is like public versus private and and probably you want both depending on what it is um, exactly that we're talking about. And then I think the other thing is just right now there's a ton of focus on buying your way into communities. Uh, but if you just look historically at the creator economy, um, you know, most fans are paying quote unquote with engagement, um, their attention, their time, their you know passion um, and not with dollars. And so I think we have a, a kind of limiting form of social tokens right now where for the most part they're they're purchased um and i think mm -hmm. that earning and the ability to actually like you know be a valued member in a community because of your fandom or because of your patronage sorry because of your non-financial patronage i think that's a really big um sort of gap in in today's um you know web free meets creator economy so that's another thing that'll be a focus for us yeah, that makes sense. Melissa, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think a big thing is creators need to, like a big, huge need is just to onboard the community that you have already into Web3. And I think there's like, Discord is not the best first entry into crypto, I think. But I actually think what Matt was saying around earning, like 
being able to earn your way into community and that be your first experience with crypto, I think is actually a really great experience because you like getting fiat into a MetaMask wallet to go purchase something. That's a lot of friction to get people to go through for like an asset that they might not even really understand or understand its value. Whereas if you're earning something, it's like kind of like a reward at the end of the tunnel where it's like, okay, I get to learn all these different things. And then at the end, I um, get an asset that gets me closer to my favorite creator. So I think earning is just going to be a great way to onboard new people into Web3 in general. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk more about this problem space that you just uh, brought up, Melissa. So I want to I want to wind it back for a second. A lot of people, a lot of creators need to find a way to bring their audience from social media into their Web3 native community. So what does that really mean? So we look at like creators who have fans across Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook groups, uh, Twitter, the list goes on and on and on where that's like their main form of communication to their end user. That's how they communicate stuff in a story, right? They do a swipe up, they have a call to action, a link in bio, and that entire entire journey needs to be optimized from like one destination to another destination. So you guys are kind of saying that bounties, earning uh, your way into a community is like, a really good incentive and a really good way to kind of build that initial traction of moving a user from like a pillar platform to like a sub platform. That's how I'm understanding it. Yeah, we, we definitely think of it as a funnel. It's like you have these mm-hmm. big social media platforms where maybe you have a really large audience and then you go from there to your most dedicated community members who might want to join your discord or just get have more engagement. And then those are the types of people who will then go to your uh, your web your personal website, your bonfire page, and find ways to um, earn, to interact, and like engage in new ways. So I think we definitely think of it more like a funnel where it's not going to be all of your, not everyone who follows you on social media is going to really care about your yeah. community, your token. So um, I think it like you end up with probably the people who are most excited about you and mm-hmm. your community that actually end up making it through. I think you're absolutely right. Not everybody's going to care about your web three initiatives. Right. And the question is, is like, shit, now you have to build a whole new audience, but a web three native audience. So you're already, you're creating content for TikTok, you're creating content for Instagram. You're creating content for Snapchat, for Facebook groups, for all these different platforms. And now, Web3 is another medium, right? Through quote unquote Discord. Discord is like the to-go kind of destination. And when you think about it, like shit, all you do all day is just create content for the most part or whatever your respective creator uh, 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 medium is, right? And now you have to focus on building a whole new type of community like Daniel Allen's community on, on Spotify or on Instagram, for example, were not necessarily the people who contributed to his crowdfund across Twitter and Mirror. And now he's dedicating a lot of his time and attention to build for that community, right? So I guess part of what I'm saying right now is like realizations as I'm creating these interviews and as you guys are kind of building products for creators and seeing like, okay, this is just, this may be another hurdle for creators to come over, right? And to, I mean, excuse me, to overcome, but it actually may be one, very worth it because of the opportunity behind it to create like direct communication and and lines of ownership and, and monetization between one party to another, but I guess my, my question to you is like, okay, how do you actually do that now? How do you dedicate your time to now focusing on a new class of creators, right? That, that and excuse me, a new, a new class of audiences that otherwise wouldn't really care about what you're doing on web two, for example, which it's more homework, right? More time, all, all these things that may be very daunting, for example. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I feel like we're kind of in this world right now where people are, are kind of on like this content treadmill, I guess. Where yeah because of the algorithms you're forced to like be creating content all the time. Whereas I feel like with web three, like you don't actually have to do that anymore. Like you can monetize and sell your, sell your work as like NFTs. And then like, you can focus on like creating like pieces of content that you think are going to be super valuable versus like a lot of it. And I think that's the big difference where, um like yeah you hear about like creator burnout all the time because the algorithm just dictates that you need it otherwise like you're going to lose followers but if you can find like a 
few hundred people who are who really love you, then that like you don't have to have that constant pressure anymore. I, yeah. I that's how that's how I would see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that it um, allows the 100 true fans, the 10 super fans, to sort of you know self select um, and support the creator. Um, and so, yeah, as Mel mentioned, that means you know maybe not needing to produce as much content, and you're not as beholden to the algorithms because you aren't uh, creating for you know, pennies of, of ad revenue, yeah. you're actually able to just create for your fans, for the community who like loves your work. But then I think the other big part of, of um, what you, um, what you said that, that resonated was today, you kind of do have to make a choice between like, do I, you know, do I engage with um, web three by creating like a new audience of, you know, maybe right. they're asset collectors, but they actually didn't like follow my music before I started putting out NFTs. And like, there's kind of like a clear distinction there. But I think over time, as the as the space becomes more mature, like those things really should be one and the same. It's like the the people who are collecting your NFT should be the biggest fans of your content, not the biggest fans of NFTs. And like right now you have this world where like as a musician, you can announce that you're going to be putting out NFTs and your biggest fans might hate you for it. Like they could be like the ones, you know, commenting on Twitter and like, you know, ripping you apart for it, yeah. where yeah, really they much. should be the ones who are most excited. Um, and so I think right now we're in this kind of like awkward teenager phase of maturity where like you do have to make some of these trade-offs, which you really shouldn't need to make um, kind of as the space continues to mature and, and mainstream adoption is a little further along. Yeah. How do you, how do you guys think about the, the, I guess the balance between well, not really a balance, but how do you get more viewers, more listeners, more watchers into collectors? I think the, the simple answer that I would say is you, you well, two things. I think one is you create a lot of utility for the assets, which those mm -hmm. biggest fans are going to care the most about. And so okay. when it's like, what, why is it called a social token? It's like partially it's because a lot of the value um, is derived socially versus like purely financially. And so if the thing that holding this NFT gets me is access to every concert, for example, then that's going to appeal much more strongly to the real fans versus somebody who's purely in it for speculation reasons. Um, and so I think creating greater utility is going to mean that the real fans are going to uh, like, you know, value those things relatively higher than somebody who's only in it for financial reasons. Um, and then I think the second way that you, you get your fans to be collectors is you allow them opportunities to earn the assets. And again, it's like, let them, um, you know, contribute in, in non-financial ways via their engagement, via their like loyalty, via their, their passion, and then give them assets in return for that. And I think that's another way that you end up with your fans being the ones who hold those assets. And if you think of this as almost like this open source CRM that, you know, isn't controlled by any platform and can't be taken from you as a creator, it's like very important to get those assets into the hands of your, you know, your actual fans and like the people who who care most about, you know, what it is that you're about, the type of art that you create. Um, and so I think that both of those are are big key um, unlocks and and things that really just take a lot of product and tooling to to enable. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, for everyone that's listening, I, I think there's a lot of alpha in here. I think there's a lot of opportunities presented. Um, and and uh, Matt and, and Mel, you guys are very, very in it, like in the weaves. Like you guys are the onion that's like getting peeled, in my opinion. <laughs> and uh, I'm very excited for for your journey. I guess before before you wrap it up and I let, it, I let you guys go, anything you want to add, any shout outs, uh, I know you guys had the Daniel Allen project that you put together. You guys announced the public launch of of Bonfire. I know you guys were very much in stealth stealth mode, doing stuff with Rally. Matt, I remember you were telling me those that, that thing behind the scenes. Um, anything to add on that front? What can we expect from Bonfire in the next few months? Fill me in. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is uh, just building has done building, trying to um, get the platform ready for really just self-service on the Ethereum side. Um, cool. As mentioned, yeah, we've been we've been in Rally and, and partnered closely with that team for the last several months, but um, really wanting to just sort of achieve platform parity and make it available for anyone on mainnet as well. Um, and then Polygon will be a big focus for us in terms of L2s and, and scalability. Nice. Um, and yeah, I would say like 
that's a really big focus. Um, the other big focus is going to be on kind of those two things that I just mentioned, utility and earning, and really trying to um, solve for where we see gaps in the market today and, and try to help creators. I guess it's really like helping the reality of like the value social tokens are. And when I say social tokens, I mean NFT, uh, NFTs and fungible tokens. It's like having the reality of the value that gets created, like match the potential. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a couple of, of big gaps that need to be solved for that to really happen. Yeah, I love it. I'm excited for you guys. Melissa, any, any last words before before we wrap it up and we shill our, our socials and all that? <laughs> nothing, nothing to add. Cool. Guys, this was great. Where can we find you, Matt? Where can we find you, Melissa? Where can we find Bonfire? Uh, give us Give us the rundown. Yeah, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Matt double underscore Alston because I was sort of late to the Twitter game. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and mine Melissa. is Melissa Zang 13. <laughs> nice. Or you can find us just at, at Bonfire Tweets. Um, yeah, and uh, try bonfire.xyz. Amazing. Guys, we should definitely do this again in a, in a few months. Uh, and thank you for being on. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure.